Hey guys, um, so, I'm sorry I have not done a podcast with, in a week or so now, actually it's been over a little, over a week since I last did a podcast, that's my apologies, um, so, The last podcast I left off on talking about worship. So I'll continue there in this podcast. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Definition of worship of the true God. The English word worship comes from the old English word worth. Ship. The word describes actions and attitudes that highly favor and honor worth- worthiness. When used of God, it expresses awe and adoration toward Him. True worship is God-centered, not human-centered. It focuses on God's character traits. Christian worship involves Jesus' followers responding with holy love and reverence to God's character and presence by expressing gratitude for who He is and what He has done for us. Sincere or true and heartfelt worship requires a faith commitment and a confession that God is the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. It means knowing and confessing that God is the only Lord, the leader, and highest authority in our lives. We were created to honor and worship God. Psalm uh, chapter 100 verse 2. Psalms uh, chapter 100 verse 3. Isaiah 43 verses 6 and 7. Romans 12 verse 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. A brief history of the worship of the true God. Human beings have worshipped God from the beginning of history. Adam and Eve enjoyed a personal relationship and interaction with God in the Garden of Eden. Cross reference to Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Their sons Cain and Abel both brought offerings. Hebrew word is... Minha, also translated as tribute or gift to the Lord. Cain brought plant life and Abel brought animal life. Genesis chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. Seth's descendants called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4 verse 26. Noah built an altar to the Lord for a burnt offering after the flood. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Abraham set up many altars throughout the region that would later become Israel's promised land so that he could present offerings to God. Genesis chapter 12 verses 7 and 8. 
Genesis chapter 13, verse 4. Genesis chapter... Thirteen verse eighteen, Genesis chapter twenty-two verse nine. I experienced close personal companionship with him. Genesis eighteen verses twenty-three through thirty-three. Genesis chapter twenty-two verses eleven through eighteen. However, it was not until after the Exodus, the departure of all Israelites from slavery in Egypt. When Israel built the tabernacle, the portable structure that served as a worship center and represented God's presence, that public worship became a formal ceremony or activity to honor God. After that point, sacrifices were offered continually, especially on the Sabbath, the day God set aside for rest and worship. God also established trouble annual religious peace as occasions for public worship. Exodus chapter 23 verses 14 through 17. Leviticus 1 through 7. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 23 verses 4 through 44. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And Deuteronomy chapter 16. This worship was later brought to a central location, namely the temple in Jerusalem. First Chronicles twenty-two through twenty-six, when the temple was destroyed in five hundred eighty-six BC, the Jews built synagogues as local places of instruction and worship while they were in exile. And wherever they settled, these buildings continued to be used for worship even after the second temple was built under Zerubbabel's leadership, Ezra 3-6. through six. They were synagogues throughout Judea and all over the Roman world during New Testament times. Luke chapter 4 verse 16, John chapter 6 verse 59, Acts chapter 6 verse 9. Acts chapter 13 verse 14, Acts chapter 14 verse 1, Acts chapter 17 verse 1, Acts chapter 17 verse 10, Acts chapter 18 verse 4, Acts chapter 19 verse 8, Acts chapter 22 verse 19. Worship in the early days of the New Testament church took place both in the Jerusalem temple and in private homes. Acts chapter 2 verses 46 and 47. Outside of Jerusalem, Christians worshipped in the synagogues as long as they were permitted to do so. When that was no longer allowed, they met elsewhere for worship, usually in people's homes. That was cross-referenced with Acts chapter 18, verse 7, Romans 16, verse 5, Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, Philemon chapter Philemon 2. Though sometimes they had access to some other people, to some other public facility, Acts chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Expressions of Christian worship. The Bible describes true and heartfelt worship that takes many forms and postures. 
including bowing down, Genesis chapter 24, verse 52, 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 47 and 48, standing, Exodus 33, verse 10, dancing, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, clapping and shouting, Psalms 47, verse 1, raising hands, Psalms 134, verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, kneeling, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, walking and leaping, Acts chapter 3, verse 8, and lying face down or flat on the ground, Revelation chapter 5, verse 14. As long as these expressions are suitable for the particular situations that are sincere responses to an awareness of God's presence, they are accessible to God regardless of the posture of worship. Several elements tend to characterize true godly worship. All worship should lift up the Lord, not the individual worshiper. Two key principles help direct Christian worship. General worship takes place in spirit and in truth. See John chapter 4 verse 23. That is to say, true worship is not just a physical or mental activity. True worship is a spiritual exercise giving an equal response to how God has revealed himself to us particularly through his son, Jesus Christ. Cross-reference with John chapter 14, verse 6. Worship involves heartfelt interaction between the human spirit and God's Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 12. The practice of Christian worship must fit the New Testament pattern for the church. See Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Christ's followers today should desire a church after and expect the same kinds of worship expressions and experiences described throughout the New Testament. The key feature of Old Testament worship was the system of sacrifice. Numbers 28 and 29, since Christ's sacrifice on the cross completely fulfilled this system, there is no longer any need of the shedding of blood as part of Christian worship. Hebrews nine chapter Hebrews chapter nine verses one through ten chapter ten verse eighteen through this sac sacrament or symbolic ceremony of the Lord's Supper community the New Testament church continually celebrates in memory of Christ's once for all sacrifice First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty three through twenty six. Also, the church is urged to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Also, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Romans 12, 1. Praising God is necessary in Christian worship. Praise was an important element in Israel's worship of God. Psalms uh, chapter 100, verse 4. Psalms 106, verse 1, Psalms 111, verse 1, Psalms 113, verse 1, Psalms 107, chapter 117. As well as in early Christian worship, Acts 2, verses 46 and 47, Acts 16, 25, Romans 15, 10 and 11, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. One important way to praise God is by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Old Testament is full of encouragement to sing to the Lord. 
First Chronicles 16 verse 23, Psalms 95 verse 1, Psalms 96 verses 1 and 2, Psalms chapter 98 verse 1, Psalms chapter 98 verses 5 and 6, Psalms 100 verses 1 through 2. At the time of Jesus' birth, the entire heavenly multitude burst into a song of praise, Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. The New Testament church was singing community. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. Ephesians chapter five, verse nineteen. Colossians chapter three, verse sixteen. James chapter five, verse thirteen. The Bible describes New Testament Christians as singing with words from the mind, with a known human language, or with the spirit. Or tongues. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. Never did they consider practicing as a form of entertainment disguised as worship. Although singing and music are important expressions of worship, we must be careful not to be music as the primary means of worship. We must not allow it to take the place of true worship. Music certainly can inspire and move our hearts to offer up true people offer true worship, but at times it can overpower the senses. This is when attention is directed away from God. In this way, people end up worshiping a song, a singer, or a feeling rather than worshiping God. Prayer is another important part of worship. The Old Testament saints constantly Communicated with God through prayer. Genesis chapter 20 verse 17. Numbers chapter 11 verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 6. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 27. Daniel chapter 9 verses 3 through 19. Cross reference James chapter 5 verse 17 through 18. The leaders of the New Testament Christian worship. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. First Thessalonians 5, chapter... Or, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. These prayers... Could be personal. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Or they could be intercessory prayers. Prayers for others. Romans chapter 15, verses... 30 through 32, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Christian prayer must always involve giving thanks to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Colossians 3, 15. Colossians 3, 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. As was seen, praying could be done with a known human language or in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. Confession of sin, openly admitting our offenses toward God, was clearly an important part of Old Testament worship. God had established the Day of Atonement for the Israelites as a time for national confession of their offenses against God. Leviticus 16 In his prayer at the Temple Dedication, Solomon recognized the importance of confession. First Kings Chapter 8, verses 30 through 39.
When Ezra and Nehemiah realized how much God's people had neglected his law, they led the entire nation of Judah in a passionate public prayer of confession, Nehemiah 9. When Jesus gave his followers an example of how to pray, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, he taught them to ask for forgiveness of sins. Matthew 6, verse 12. James instructs believers to confess their sins to each other. James chapter 5, verse 16. Admitting spiritual faults and failures can provide accountability and inspire assurance of God's gracious forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Worship also includes public reading of God's word and preaching of its truth. I will go more in depth on this subject when we talk about the fear of the Lord, which is why I'm doing my podcast um, now, try and continue it. I have been busy the past week. Um, I have had a couple of my health issues act up. not an easy subject to talk about either um, when you talk about the fear of the Lord and to have that fear of God um, I brought up a point tonight when we were talking about it in our youth our not youth group, but young adult group. And the point I brought up is that not only do we have to have a heart check, um, because that's where out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, and for everything that we say we are going to be accounted for when the judgment day comes and when that's when Christ comes back for his bride, which is the church, which is made up of believers of his, um, The Lord's punishment is 
Not like the punishments that, you know, we received as kids from our parents or anything. This is a God that if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life or, you know, you have not asked Jesus into your heart, then you're going to spend eternal in the fiery pit of hell. That's just the way it is. But, that's not where God wants you. It's going to hurt Jesus to see his kids and God. It's going to cause him much grief on that day. Because God doesn't want us to end up in a fiery pit of hell. He wants to see us in heaven with him. But, you know, he also made us with that free choice. But that it's just going to be hard for God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to accept that, you know, some of us have chosen not to follow him. Now is the time to do that heart check. Now is the time to be on fire for God. Not to be lukewarm. Um, so we got to stay in the word daily. Worship also includes public reading of God's. Word and preaching of its truth. In Old Testament times, God commanded that every seven years at the Feast of Booths, all Israelites were to assemble for a public reading of the Law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13. The clearest example of this part of Old Testament worship came during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 12. Scripture reading became a regular part of the synagogue worship on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 19. Acts chapter 13 verse 15. In a similar way, when New Testament believers gathered for worship, they also heard God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13. Cross reference Colossians chapter 4 verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27. Along with teaching, preaching, and practical challenges based on the truth of the word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Cross-reference with Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Whenever God's Old Testament people assembled in the courts of the Lord... They were instructed to bring tithes, which is a tenth of one's income or produce, and offerings. Psalms 96, verse 8, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. In the New Testament, Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians about gathering funds for the Jerusalem church on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside 
and stored up as he may prosper. First Corinthians chapter sixteen verse two. This is an example of how true worship of God must be planned for, especially in presenting our tithes and offerings to God. One unique element of New Testament worship was and is presently the role of the Holy Spirit in His various expression. Expressions given through Christ's followers among these spiritual gifts and expressions, all which are intended to honor Christ and build up the church, are the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge, extraordinary faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between types of spirits, speaking in tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. First Corinthians chapter twelve verses seven through ten. Again, with this is not the time to be lukewarm, but on fire for God. Um, this also goes with my other point I made tonight in group. We are to build up one another, encourage one another, not tear down a person. I know right now we have these riots going on. And I'm not racist in any shape or form. I have friends who are of different race. So it hurts me as it would any human being really. And you guys, I, I, I get, you know, um, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I, I could understand some people are the way that they are and I'm not saying it's right I'm not saying it's okay to be that way I mean I'm white but I'm also part Polish I have black Indian in me I have friends who are Mexican, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, whites. I have friends who are black so I'm not racist and I even had my friends thank me for not being like 
other white people who are racist. But you guys, these riots have gone way too far. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, They already fought the fight. They realized that violence didn't get them far. And violence is not the answer. But when is humanity going to say enough is enough? You know, um, so that's my thoughts about these riots and everything, yeah. I'm not racist, I'm just trying to, you know, be real with you guys and try like, personalize what the Bible is saying as much as I can. Because really all of our lives matter. It's not about race. It's not about the color of our skin. And Garth Brooks has a song out called People Loving People. And that's really the, <laughs> the only remedy and solution to all of our problems. We have to learn to love one another. If we don't love, then we have nothing. If our words out of our mouths are not backed by love, then we just sound like a clinging symbol.
The charismatic, spirit-led, enthusiastic nature of early Christian worship is further described in Paul's instructions when he comes together each one as a hymn, a lesson, revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. In his letters to the Corinthian church, Paul provided principles to guide and regulate these gifts of worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-33, through 33, the most important principle of all was that any exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit during worship had to strengthen and help the whole congregation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. The other unique element in New Testament worship was the celebration of the sacraments, the symbolic ceremonies. A baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's Supper, or the breaking of bread. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, was probably observed daily among believers right after Pentecost, the day on which God sent his Holy Spirit to fill the empower, to fill and empower Christ's followers. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Later became at least a weekly practice. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 11. Baptism as commanded by Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Happened as often as people were converted to faith in Christ as, and added to the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Acts chapter 10, verse 48. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 5. God's blessings for true worshipers. When true worship takes place, God responds with many blessings. He promises to be with worshipers, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, and to have close personal interaction with them, Revelation chapter 30, verse 20. To guide and surround them with his glory, Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. To shower them with blessings. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 26. Especially peace. Psalms 29 verse 11. To give them overflowing joy. Psalms 122 verse 1. John 15 verse 11. To answer their prayers when offered in sincere faith. Mark chapter 11 verse 24. James chapter 5 verse 15. To give them a fresh infilling of his Holy Spirit and boldness to live for Christ and tell others about him. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. To work among them in special and obvious ways through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 13. To guide them into all truth through the Holy Spirit. John 15 verse 26. John chapter 16 verse 13. To purify, develop, and set them apart for his purposes the power and instruction of his word and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 17 verses 17 through 19. To comfort, encourage, and strengthen them. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 26. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. To expose the reality of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John chapter 16 verse 8. And to spiritually save people who respond in faith. 
when their sinfulness is revealed to them during a worship service. First Corinthians chapter fourteen verses twenty two to twenty five. Um innocence to true worship. When God's people gather for worship and do what seems right outwardly, this is no guarantee that true worship is taking place or that God is accepting their praise and listening to their prayers. If the worship is simply a matter of words and formalities and the people's hearts are not centered on Him, then God does not accept the worship. Christ severely criticized the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. They religiously followed the regulations of God's law while their hearts were far from Him. Matthew chapter 15 verses 7 through 9. Matthew chapter 23 verses 23 through 28. Mark chapter 7 verses 5 through 7. Notice that the same type of criticism was given to the church in Ephesus. They continued to worship the Lord even though the people had lost their true love for Christ. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. In his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul warns believers that those who participate in the Lord's Supper without repenting of their sin and without giving proper consideration to their fellow Christians are actually bringing judgment on themselves. First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty-eight through thirty. See, First Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty-seven. The truth of this matter, worshiping God, is that we can expect God to accept our worship only if our hearts are in a right relationship with Him. James chapter four verse eight. Cross reference with Psalm chapter twenty-four verses three and four. Another obstacle to true worship is a lifestyle of spiritual can promise sin and immorality. God refused to accept King Saul's sacrifices because he disobeyed God's command. First Samuel chapter fifteen verses one through twenty three. Isaiah scolded God's people as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. Isaiah chapter one verse four. Even though they were still offering sacrifices and celebrating their holy days, for this reason, the Lord declared through Isaiah, Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. In the New Testament, Jesus urged the worshippers, and Sardis to wake up because I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Revelation chapter 3 verse 2. Likewise, James reminds the followers of Jesus that God will not hear the selfish prayers of those who have not separated themselves from the world's ungodly beliefs and behavior behaviors. In James chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. God's people can expect him to reveal his proper presence and accept their worship only if they keep their lives spiritually pure. Psalms chapter 24 verses 3 and 4. James chapter 4 verse 8. Worship must be more than a service or ceremony. It must be a way of life that reflects the highest respect, reverence, and honor for God in words and actions in all situations. Romans 12 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16. So, yesterday morning in church, 
at Impact. Um, Pastor Walter talked about the prayer of the Lord. Fear means it depends on how much you do not fear the Lord, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit at the moment. Misery and destruction defies them that do not fear the Lord. Misery does not define us, and dysfunction does not define us. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, kindness, patience, goodness, and faithfulness should define us, which are the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to go back to my article of the prayer of the Lord. And I hopefully by me reading this article, you guys will be able to see how it ties in with what I've been talking about. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commend you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. A frequent command given to God's people in the Old Testament is to fear God or fear the Lord. It is important that we understand what this command means for Christ's followers today. Only as we truly fear the Lord will we be freed from all destructive and satanic fears. By fearing God, we can avoid being trapped by the natural pull toward going our own way, defying God and giving in to the inviting ways of immoral behavior. What does it mean to fear God? The broad command to fear the Lord involves understanding several things about a believer's relationship with God. Number one, first of all, we must recognize that God is loving, merciful, and forgiving, but He also is holy, just, and righteous. Knowing God and understanding His character cross-reference with Proverbs chapter 2 verse 5 means accepting the fact that his justice, justice and holiness, purity, perfection, completeness of character, 
and separation from evil caused him to judge sin. For more details regarding God's character and the implications for his... Oh, we'll read that later. Fearing the Lord means to be in awe of his holiness, to give him complete reverence, and to honor him as the God of great glory, majesty, purity, and power. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 for example when God revealed himself to the Israelites at Mount Sinai through thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast they all trembled in fear Exodus 19 verse 16 because of his great power they even begged Moses to deliver God's message to them so they would not have to encounter God himself. Exodus chapter 20 verses 18 through 19. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 22 to 27. Also, when the psalm writer reflects on God as creator, he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world sin in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalms 33 verses 8 through 9. Number three, true fear of the Lord causes believers to place their faith and trust in him alone for salvation. For example, after the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground and saw how God destroyed the Egyptian army, who all who fear the Lord should trust in the Lord. He is their hope and their shield. Psalms 115 verse 11. In other words, fearing God produces confidence hope and trust in him which are necessary when we are looking to God for mercy forgiveness Luke 1 chapter 50 cross reference with Psalms 103 verse 11 Psalms 103 verse 4 and spiritual salvation Psalms chapter 85 verse 9 number 4 finally to bear God involves recognizing that he is angry about sin and has the power to punish those who are who stand arrogantly against him and break his laws. Cross reference with Psalms chapter 76 verses 7 through 8. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were afraid and tried and to hide from God's presence. Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Moses experienced this aspect of the fear of God when he spent 40 days and nights praying for the simple Israelites. I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 19. In the New Testament, the author of the letter to the Hebrews acknowledges God's coming vengeance and judgment and then writes, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. Why should we fear God? The reasons for fearing God are found in the meaning of the fear of the Lord, as described above. We should fear Him because of His matchless power as the creator of all things and all people. Psalms chapter 33 verses 6 through 9. Psalms 96 verses 4 and 5. Jonah chapter 1 verse 9. In addition, the amazing power that He continues to exercise over His creation, including humankind, is cause for fearing God. Exodus chapter 20 verses 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14. Jonah chapter 1 verses 11 through 16. 
Also, if you don't remember me saying that I do for the Lord, it's because Jonah ended up in the belly of a whale because he disobeyed God. And you never know with God. It could be a shark. But I don't want to think about that. That's a really scary thought in the story. And I don't really want to go there. But you know. We're talking about the prayer of the Lord here. You know. Daniel ended up in the lion's den. So you know, I mean. There, there, there's that too. Mark chapter 4 verses 39 through 41. When we truly realize God's holiness, his pretty perfection and separation from evil, the normal response of the human spirit is to fear him. Revelation chapter 15 verse 4. Anyone who sees or experiences a manifestation, a visible or physical sign or demonstration of God's glory cannot help but become afraid. Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 8. The continual blessings we receive from God, especially the forgiveness of our sins. Psalms 130 verse 4 should lead us to fear and love him. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 24. Psalms 34 verse 9. Psalms chapter 67 verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 24. Above all the fact that the Lord is a God of justice who would judge judge the entire human race should be reason enough to produce a godly fear. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 12 through 13. Isaiah 59 verses 18 through 19. Malachi chapter 3 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 through 31. It is a sovereign and absolute truth that God is constantly aware of our actions and motives, both good and bad, and that he and that we will be held accountable for those actions, both now and on the day of our personal judgment. So, it's not just what we say, but it's also our actions and our motives. That we ha- are going to be accounted for. Now and on the day of our personal judgment. So let's put race aside. Let's. Let's stop looking at the color of skin. Looking at the beauty within the person. How will fearing God affect our lives? The prayer of the Lord is far more than a biblical teaching, principle, or idea. It is relevant to our daily lives in many ways. First, if we truly fear the Lord, we will obey His commands, live according to His word, and say no to sin. One reason why God inspired fear in the Israelites at Mount Sinai was so that they might learn to avoid and reject sin and obey his law. Exodus chapter 20 verse 20. In his final address to the Israelites, Moses repeatedly connected fearing God to serving and obeying him. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 2. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19. Deuteronomy 31, verse 12. According to the psalm writer, fearing God is equal to delighting in his commands. Psalm 112, verse 1. And following the principle of his law, Psalms 119, verse 63, Solomon taught that by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 16, verse 6, cross-reverence, chapter 8, verse 13. In Ecclesiastes, the whole duty of the human race is summarized by two simple requirements, fear God and keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. On the contrary, anyone who is content to live wickedly or defy God does, does so because there is no fear of God before his eyes. Psalms 36, 1 through 4. Not only should the fear of the Lord affect individual lives, but it should also affect families. God instructs his followers to teach their children to fear him by training them to hate sin and to love God's commands. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10 followers Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1 through 2 Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 6 through 9 The Bible often states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom Psalms 111 verse 10 Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 cross reference with Job chapter 28 Verse 28, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and Christian's basic goal for his or her children should be that they learn to live by God's principles of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, teaching them to fear the Lord is a critical first step. The fear of the Lord has a sanctifying, purifying, separating from sin, spiritually maturing effect on God's people, just as applying the truth of God's word does. John chapter 17, verse 17. It compels us to hate sin and avoid evil. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. It causes us to be careful in what we say. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. It protects us from weakening our consciences, and our moral sensitivity toward what is right. The fear of the Lord has a spiritually cleansing, purifying, and restoring effect that can last forever. Psalm 19, verse 9. The holy and reverent fear of the Lord motivates God's people to worship Him with their whole being. People who truly fear God will praise and honor Him as Lord of all. Psalms 22, verse 23. David said that a worshiping congregation is the same as those who fear God. Psalms 22, verse 25. At the end of history, when the angel who proclaims the eternal gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, calls everyone on earth to fear God, he immediately adds, and give him glory and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea of the springs of water. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 7. God has promised to reward all those who fear him. The reward of humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 4. Other promised rewards include security and protection from death. Proverbs chapter 14 verses 26 through 27. Provisions for daily needs. Psalms 34 verse 9. Psalms 111 verse 5. 
and a long life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. Those who live in reverent awe of God know that it will be well with those who fear God. Regardless of what happens in the world around them, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. Finally, fearing God brings a humble confidence and overwhelming spiritual comfort. The New Testament directly links the fear of the Lord with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Those who do not fear God will have little or no sense of His presence and protection. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26. How those who fear God and obey His word will experience a deep sense of spiritual security and the anointing empowering of the Holy Spirit, they can be sure that God ultimately will deliver them from death. Psalms 33 verses 18 through 19. And I will stop there in this podcast and I will continue in the next podcast. God bless. Love you all. Stay tuned for the next podcast.